0: I guess you can say that we're beginning a short sermon series on a few of the stories of Jesus' life as we learn to see a little more clearly, especially as we make our way to Easter. So Easter is just, what, four weeks away now? About four weeks away. And I think it's always helpful for us as we march towards Easter for us to really focus on the things that are really important and the things that matter most to us. And this is one of those times in the year where Christians around the world are more intentional about their spirituality, their life of faith, and they they'd spend more time reflecting on what it means that Jesus calls each one of us and bids us come and die. And so as we focus on this, we're going to be looking at a few stories over the next several weeks of the, of the, of the life of Jesus as we get a clearer picture of what it means that Jesus is, in fact, the light of the world. So I invite you to bow your heads with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for allowing us to gather here this morning. We thank you for the friends and family that are here. We thank you that you've given us your word and your message to instruct us and teach us how to truly see. And so we ask now that as we look at a story that perhaps we've read countless times, Father, that you would help us see it with new eyes. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, every single year, many of us will make an appointment, usually in January, not to get our taxes done, but to go to the eye doctor. How many of you have ever been to an eye doctor? And every time, and you've heard me tell this story before, every year I go and I try to do it at the beginning of the year because for some reason I feel like I can never really see all that clearly. Now, I wear contacts and I've been wearing contacts for the last two years. And even with contacts, some of you can attest to this, I still can't see as clear as I probably could when I'm wearing my glasses, but contacts are just much easier to use. But every single year I make this appointment because I want to see clearer than I did the year before. And every time we go there, the dentist, the, not the dentist, the eye doctor, will run a whole battery of tests, and they put our eyes up to machines, and they make us look at a little green tree, and they check our peripheral visions, and then to top it all off, at the very end, they sit us in front of what's called a foropter, phorop- I think, or forapter. looks like this futuristic alien-type thing. He puts our eyes up to that, and then he'll say, one or two, one or two. And they stop. And I think they, they think that you're supposed to get it. And I think I'm probably like the worst patient because I'll say, can you do that again? Can you do that again? I, I can't tell the difference. And I think like I, one year I went back like five or six times because I couldn't get the prescription right. I just, I, I didn't trust my eyes. But we go to the eye doctor. They don't fix our eyes, but they do help us to get more clarity either by glasses or by the contacts that we wear. You know, so much of the Bible and so much of the stories of Jesus are about helping us to recalibrate our eyes and to see more clearly. There is this great theme in Scripture that is we go from darkness into light. That coming to faith in Jesus is is coming into a newness of life. It's coming into a life where we can now see more clearly than we did before we had faith in Jesus And what we're going to find in the story this morning is that oftentimes we don't just see clearly in an instant, but it's a process that God takes us through. So I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. It's not on the screens this morning, so it'll be John chapter 9. And we begin... As he, Jesus, walked along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's work might be revealed in him. Now, so much of the Bible and, and the way it's written, like, it's intentional, you see, on, if you were to, just to pick up the story in John chapter 9 and you see that Jesus was walking along and he sees a man that had been born blind from birth, you wouldn't think much of it. But if you had read the previous story where Jesus makes this claim that he is the light of the world, and if you notice that the religious people of the day had a problem with Jesus saying that he is the light of the world, and then the Bible tells us that they began to think up ways on how they could persecute, ultimately arrest, and kill Jesus— if you knew that Jesus was, in a sense, on the lamb, on the run, trying to run, not really run for his life, but he was at least looking over his shoulder because, as we know, his time had not yet come to do that thing for which he came to do. If we understood that Jesus was maybe a little bit worried, and it tells us that as he, came, he walked alongside and he sees this man and he stops, then it has a whole new sense and a whole new meaning to us. You see, so many times we are so busy, so worried, so like, distracted by the things that we have to get done, that we forget that sometimes we have to stop and notice the people that need help. But Jesus shows us and the way of Jesus teaches us that even if there are a hundred other things that we have to do, if there is someone that is in need, it is our Christian duty to stop and notice. See, the disciples, instead of saying, hey, Jesus, let us help this blind man, Instead of the disciples saying, "Hey Jesus, let's give this blind man some alms," or, or back then they thought that if they would, if people could go to a, a, the, one of the pools around the Jerusalem temple, that if they were to be the first one to ch- to touch it, that they would then be healed. Instead of the disciples saying, "Hey, let's get him closer to that," they ask a question. They say, "Who sinned, this man or his parents?" And many of us know by now that oftentimes in Scripture if someone had some sort of ailment, some sort of disease, if they were blind, if they, were, if they had leprosy, if they had some kind of illness, the common understanding was that either this person or their parent had sinned, and so now God in some way was punishing them because of the sins of their parents or their own sin. And so these disciples who were supposed to be compassionate, these disciples who were supposed to know the teachings of Jesus and be living out the message of Jesus Instead of them doing what Jesus shows them, they instead revert back to theology. And they say, well, who sinned, Father? Who, or Jesus, who sinned? And Jesus tells us, neither his parents nor this man sinned. He was born blind so that God's work might be revealed in him. And we can't just give a hard time to these disciples because we kind of do this with our faith sometimes. We say things like, when something goes wrong in our lives, if there's some sort of illness, we ask God, why are you doing this to me? If someone in our family gets ill, and and maybe we won't admit it, but we'll say things like, well, why is this happening? And you begin to think, and you say, like, is it because of that thing I did, and now, God, you're punishing me? Like, that's theologically wrong, but as humans, that's how we live our lives, because everything is cause and effect, And so we think that whenever bad things happen, God is causing these bad things as a punishment for the sins that we have committed. Or we do it on the opposite side. If something bad happens to us, we say things like, God, have I not done enough for you that you're allowing these things to happen? Have I not preached enough sermons? Have I not been faithful in giving my tithes and my offerings? Have I not been faithful to serving in the church? Have I not been faithful enough in doing everything I was supposed to do? Why are you letting these things happen to me? So, we can be mad at the disciples for asking something theological, but it's a part of our story. We do it sometimes without even recognizing that we do it. And Jesus says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. One of the first things we see in this story is that humans are often more concerned with what others are doing. Humans are often more concerned about judging others for their sin. But the way of Jesus shows us that we should be more concerned, not with judging and not with pointing the finger, but with bringing healing, wholeness, and treating people with dignity. That is the way of Jesus. And so someone might say, well, why was he born this way? Was God playing some sort of cruel trick on him that he had to go through all of these years of his life being blind, not being able to see? Being at the mercy of other people, why would God do this? Is it just so that Jesus could have an example to show God's grace? And we, like that, that can be a discussion that we can have until kingdom come. Did God do it? Did God not do it? And so I came across this phrase, and it says this. It's not that this blindness was caused by God. Rather, this man's blindness becomes the occasion... for for the revelation of God's nearness in Jesus. So the question to ask isn't, did God do this? But what is God going to do about this? And so many times we think that the story is just about Jesus who has the power to heal someone who is blind. But to think that the story is just about that is to miss the entire point. The point of this story is that Jesus, God in the flesh, comes near to those who are in need. Now, you may not be blind, you may not have a physical ailment, but what we know from this story is that God enters into our lives. God makes time for you, and God meets us where we are. It says, God had not made the man blind in order to show his glory, but rather God has sent Jesus to do works of healing in order for God's glory to be manifested all around us. And what's really powerful about that is this next verse. And verse 4 tells us this. Jesus says, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Notice what Jesus says here. And this is, a, this is for us if we claim to be Christians. If we claim to be followers of Jesus and Bible-believing people, Jesus says, We must do the work... Of him who sent me. Who is the we in this story? All of us. See, Jesus didn't say, I must do the work for which I was sent. He says, We. If you are my disciple, if you are a believer, if you are someone who values the way of Jesus, then the we is we must all participate in the work of human dignity, wholeness, and healing for others. You see, being a Christian isn't just about knowing the right answers to things, as we're going to see here in a few moments. By the way, spoiler alert, this story may be offensive to some of us this morning. Um, I didn't do it on purpose, but you'll see what I mean here in a minute. But Jesus says, you must participate. You must do the work. You must be actively participating in the healing of others Because by not doing so, we are neglecting the very thing that Jesus comes to do for us. Part of being a Christian is to do the good work of Jesus. And so we continue. Verse 6. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back, able to see which is kind of weird. But in the first century, people often thought that saliva had some kind of medicinal purpose to it, so it wouldn't be completely out of the realm of what people did. But what Jesus does is he takes this, he spits on the ground, and he takes this mud, and he puts it on the guy's eyes. Now, to us, we know this story, and it's like, yeah, we already know what happens. But think about this in the first century. Jesus was already saying things that people thought made him crazy, like, I am the light of the world. In the beginning, I was there. Like, I became flesh. I am God. Like, Jesus was saying all of these things that clearly had people really upset. But one of the interesting things about this, and the first century readers would have understood this, is that when he spits on the ground, he's alluding back to which event in earth's history. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, when God creates Adam and Eve out of the dust of the ground. So you see, Jesus has been saying that he is one with the Father, he is sent by the Father to do this good work. And so Jesus, in this like, brilliant act of Jesus being Jesus, he spits on the ground, he makes mud, in an allusion to the fact that the Creator and him are one and the same. And Jesus brings this kind of newness to this man's eyes. So when Jesus sends him to the pool of Siloam, you know, it says, the, you know, the pool, what, what did I say that the pool was called? Which means Sent. Now think about this. Jesus is the one who is sent by God. And then Jesus sends this man to a pool named Sent. It wasn't the water that healed him. It was Jesus who brings healing. It is God who brings healing. If we could go somewhere and be healed, there would be no need for God. If we could go somewhere and people would monetize it, I'm sure. But what we find in Scripture is that Jesus is the one who brings healing to this man. Now we're going somewhere here, so let's keep going. Verse 8. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, No, but it is someone like him. And he kept saying, I am that man. Think about this. This is a a, uh, commentary on our human like condition and like the social, how we are as social beings. They had walked by him day after day after day after day. They didn't even know if that was the man because they got so used to seeing him standing there in the corner of the temple, out by the freeway, down at the civic center. They got so used to seeing this man as just a blind guy with nothing to offer society, no good to anybody, that he just kind of became a person that was there and people would walk right past. He's the guy that's waiting outside the A.M.P.M. asking for a dollar. Like This is a guy that we just get so used to seeing and disregarding as less than human. We won't even look at them in the eyes because we don't want to be asked for money and so we just ignore them. Never mind the fact that Jesus says, give to anyone who asks. That's in the Bible, black and white. Jesus says that. But these people who were going into the temple, these religious people, the people that, like Jesus never talked bad against sinners. Jesus always talked bad against people who religiously went to church. Like let that sink in for a minute. And these people just were like, was that him? Is that not him? And even as he was saying, it's me, I am the guy. I am the guy that you've ignored all these years. I am the guy that was born blind. I am the guy that everyone thought I was such a bad sinner or that my mom or my dad or my grandparents did something that was so bad that you just ignored me because we don't want to associate with those kinds of people. He says, I am that guy, but they kept ignoring him. I'm just going to keep reading the story. Is that okay? In seminary, they told us never to read too many verses in a row, but I'm going to do it. I already passed, and I got my diploma, so let's do this. But they kept asking him, Then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, The man called Jesus made mud. He spread it on my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. Verse 13, they brought the Pharisees to the man. So the Pharisees were like the religious leaders to investigate this miracle. They brought the Pharisees to the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. This is where it might get offensive for some of us, including myself. Then the Pharisees also began to ask how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, then I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened, and then he says, He is a prophet. Verse 18. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that now he sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself." His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He is of age, Ask them. Now, this was a very different kind of context in the first century. So this is not some sort of anti-Semitic kind of statement. This was more of a religious system. And what was happening is, if we read the stories of Jesus carefully, is that Jesus was, in in many ways— turning everything on its head. Jesus was challenging the way they understood how they were supposed to be religious and how they were supposed to be spiritual. And Jesus would literally take things and turn them on their head. Do you guys remember the story, the first miracle in John, when Jesus comes to this wedding and they, and the, they run out of wine. And so then Jesus tells the people, okay, like, which is interesting why he chose this to be his first miracle, but whatever. And so he tells them, go and get... Does the Bible say just regular jars? No, they were ceremonial jars. Like they were religious jars that were holy and sacred for a sacred purpose. And Jesus says, yeah, okay, get those. They're the biggest ones we have here. And then he turns the water in holy things like communion cups or something. I don't know. And then he turns this water into wine. That was offensive to them because they're like, no, these ceremonial things are for sacred things, but Jesus was just doing all sorts of things to really challenge the status quo of how the first century people were practicing their religion. And what we see in this story is that this is a story about a blind man, but he wasn't actually the one that was blind. What we'll find here in a minute is that the people who were actually blind were the religious people who were faithfully going to synagogue. Verse 24. I'm just going to continue because we have to read this whole thing. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind. And they said to him, Give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. Meaning Jesus is a sinner. And he answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already. And you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Anyone who says the Bible is boring isn't reading it right. Then they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. So anyway, they go on and do some comparisons about that. It says then they reviled him, "You are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where He comes from." That man answered, "Here's an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to the one who worships and obeys him. Never since the world began, has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind? If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born entirely in sins, and are you trying to teach us? So they drove him out. Like, think about what's happening here. Forget the fact that Jesus has restored sight to a man who was born blind. Forget the fact that Jesus was about the work of healing and doing good and asking his disciples, telling them, you must also participate in this work. But the religious people, the people who, in a sense had a corner on the market for what they knew and what they taught about God, those were the people that had it wrong. So this is where it will hopefully be offensive to you. There is a chance that if Jesus were here today instead of 2,000 years ago, that the religious people that he might be talking to might be you and me. Because, you see, we have the message, we have the text, we have the words of Scripture. We know the answers to the questions, and we know how to give Bible studies. At Seventh-day Adventist, we even have the Sabbath. But there is a chance that even though, and this is why Jesus tells this story, there is a chance that we might be missing the one about whom this Scripture is written about. And Jesus heard that they had driven this man out, and he said, and he found him, and he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, Who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. And he says, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And I just want to stop here for a second. Like whenever we read the scriptures, Oftentimes we use the Bible as a sword to cut other people and say, you are wrong, you are doing this. But I think for us to truly, and that's the wrong way to use the Bible, but I think for the scriptures to really do the work that they need to do is for them to kind of point at us and say, where is it that I am blind to what God is asking of me? You see, we oftentimes have questions about the text But to really enter into the text is to allow the text to ask the hard questions about us. Now, this is not a sermon against the Seventh-day Adventist church or the Sabbath. This is a sermon against all religious people. To remember that it isn't just the Bible that's important, but it is the one who the Bible is written about. Jesus would tell the religious people, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you find eternal life. Yet I am the one who gives you eternal life and you are completely ignoring me. These religious people were so intent on being upset at Jesus because he had done something good, an act of healing on the Sabbath. In the first century, you could only give life-saving measures on the Sabbath, but any other kind of healing, which no one was doing, could wait until Sunday. But unless your life was in danger, you should just wait until Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday to heal that person. But what Jesus teaches us, and he says this, it is always good to do good on the Sabbath. You see, Jesus knew that for them, they had made an idol out of the day that God had hallowed. They had, in a sense, elevated a day over the Messiah who was in their midst. Now, I truly believe that Sabbath is a gift that we have. I love it. I never did homework on the Sabbath. I didn't do homework a lot of the times, but on the Sabbath especially, I made sure that everything was turned off because there was something in the air that was different. But I could tell you that for a lot of years, I idolized the Sabbath. I was very legalistic about how I kept the Sabbath. But what I realized is I was so worried about keeping it holy that I was forgetting that it was about something that was so much more beautiful than that. And so there's this story that when, when um, doctors first started removing cataracts from patients who had been born blind, that oftentimes the patients, as they were kind of coming to see a little bit more than, than they could see before, because they had these cataracts in their eyes, that they couldn't really make out these objects that they were beginning to see. Because up until this point, blind people only could understand things by touch. There's one story of a 22-year-old girl that It was so hard for her to begin to see things because it was so different than how she had understood the world that for two weeks she kept her eyes closed because she couldn't handle it. Until finally one day she opens her eyes and begins to see things and she realizes, oh God, how beautiful it is to see. You see the story in John chapter 9, it is about Jesus healing a blind man and doing impossible things. But it's an even deeper story about how so many of us often have our own blind spots in our lives. There are things that we don't see. We we have this danger of being so narrow-minded about how we see the world and how we see our theology that oftentimes it gets in the way of us seeing the fuller picture of what God is asking us to do. And so we must be intentional and we must be, I was going to say proud, but I guess that's the wrong word, (laughs) We must be proud slash humble about our theology and what we believe. It's important for us to study scripture. But we must never do it to the neglect of doing the good that God is asking each one of us to participate in. Jesus says we must do the work of him who sent me. Our Christianity is not just about the assurance of salvation. That's awesome. But because we are assured our salvation because of Jesus, we are now to be the messengers of Jesus in a world that desperately needs to hear this message. It's not always going to be in words. In fact, the majority of the time it's not going to be in words when we share this message. It's going to be through the actions of our lives and how we interact and how we help and how we bring healing to others. That's what Jesus did. Jesus never begins by giving a sermon. Jesus always meets the need of someone and I know that you could think of someone in your life right now who you know, man, that person is really in rough straits right now and they could probably use my help. And oftentimes we, we resist. Or oftentimes we become desensitized like the first century people as they just kept walking by this blind man. They're like, man, he's blind. He's a lost cause. And a lot of times we think, well, maybe we can't do enough. And so we just don't do anything at all. And I think that hurts the heart of God because God says, like, maybe you can't bring healing to the blind, but you can walk alongside them and help them. And I know we have people in our church, you know, we have, and I won't name any names right now just because I don't want to call anyone out. but there are people in our church who could really use our help right now, who maybe can't drive, who maybe can't get to the grocery store, who maybe just need a visit. And God is asking us, just as Jesus sees the blind man, see the people living in your own church who are needing a hand. And so as you kind of ponder these words and you are saying, well, who is this person? Not because you're being nosy, but because you want to help. I Just text me or call me and we'll get you in touch with the people that truly need it. Because I believe that as a church and as a community of faith, one of the ways that we can share this message of Jesus is by learning to love each other really well. And by loving each other really well, we then can become this force in our city, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools to say like, yeah, we belong to something that is so much bigger than ourselves. We belong to a God who can heal the blind and raise the dead. We, we, we belong to a God who can do miraculous things and chooses to do impossible things. Like that is the modus of operandi for God, to do impossible things because we know that so many things in our lives feel impossible. And this story in John chapter 9 is about us sometimes being blind to even just the presence of God. And just as we go to the eye doctor every single year, some of us, sometimes five times a year, when we come to Scripture, it is as though we are asking God to reveal our blindness. In prayer, we ask God to give us new sight because we know that we run the danger just like the first century people who used to go to church every single Sabbath we run the danger of missing the very thing that God is doing in and around our midst. And so I want to leave you with that invitation to ask that question of yourself, where am I being blind today? And where am I neglecting the presence of God?